there. Uh, I wonder if you have ever asked the question, where is Jesus? Like actually, where, where is he? Uh, I can uh, remember as a freshman in high school, lying on my bed, falling asleep, praying, uh, Jesus, if you are real, please show yourself to me. If you just show yourself to me, I'll believe. I, I was um, coming into Christianity. I was curious about becoming a believer and um, and I just wanted to see Jesus. I just wanted to know that it was real, that he was real. And, uh, it, you know, anything at all um, would be sort of a final straw for me to believe if I could just see him. I was thinking, if I could see him, then I could believe and then I could follow him. Um, we started playing this game with our five-year-old to get her to clean her room. Um, if her room is messy and needs to be clean up, cleaned up, I'll walk in there with her and I'll say, y'all, this room is just, it's such a mess. And this is a big job, you know, and, and you're only five, so you're probably too little to be able to clean this room on your own. We'll see if we can get one of us parents to come help you or maybe one of your sisters, but you're probably too little. And so far, it's worked every time where she'll take the baby. She's like, I, I'm not too little, Dad. I, I can clean the room all by myself, Dad. Um, shut the door, go downstairs, and I'll tell you when it's ready. I'm like, okay, I don't think you can do it, but okay, we'll see. This is free parenting advice. Um, and, and sure enough, uh, a few minutes later, she'll say, Dad, come back upstairs. And so I'll go back upstairs, and, and she'll have the door shut. She'll be staying in the hallway. She'll say, she'll hold the door, Dad, are you ready for a surprise? And, I, and, I'll, and I'll play up the doubt big time. I'll say, there's no way you got that room. That was such a big job for such a little kid. There's no way you got it clean. She'll say, Dad... Just wait, I'm about to show you. I said, I, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. She said, well, get ready to see it. She'll open the door, walk in there, and sure enough, she's cleaned the room. It's amazing. Th there's something about playing up this idea with her of, of, of me having to see it to believe it that makes the reveal of, hey, look, the room really is clean. It makes it pop all the more. And maybe that's where you are with your faith. Uh, if you could just... See, Jesus, a miracle, something, that would be the thing that you think you need in order to believe. Because maybe it just seems too good to be true or just not real enough to you experientially. Um, you just want to see. Uh, this passage is going to tell us why we can't see Jesus right now. And it's also going to tell us what to do in the meantime. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read all 11 verses for us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when Jesus was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. 
And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. What a gift it is that you have spoken to us. And we ask that you would do that just now by your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. We can't know your word unless you show it to us, unless your spirit moves. So Holy Spirit, would you move among us this morning? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're in a series right now looking at the Apostles' Creed, and the Creed has been around for centuries, and it unites lots of different types of Christians in different parts of the world, and it serves as sort of a roadmap to guide us to the essential beliefs that are in the Bible. And today we're looking at the part of the Creed where we confess that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And just two headings that we're going to think about our passage from Acts chapter 1 under this morning. Uh, The first is this, um, why we can't see Jesus right now. That's the first heading, why we can't see Jesus right now. And secondly, what to do in the meantime. So first, why we can't see Jesus right now. Look at verse 9 in our passage. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Uh, We can't see Jesus right now because he has ascended into heaven. Uh, After his resurrection, after spending 40 days with his friends telling them all about his kingdom, uh, he ascended up into heaven and he did so as a king. Um, He's not on earth anymore, but he's still in his earthly resurrection body. The flesh that he took on, he's still in that body, but he's not here. He is sitting in heaven uh, on the throne next to God the Father. And two things to highlight about this ascension of Jesus. The first is this. It means that Jesus is exalted. He's exalted. We spoke a few weeks ago about the humiliation of Jesus. His birth into poverty. His taking on human flesh. His suffering and, and being misunderstood and betrayed. And his crucifixion, his death, his burial. What theologians call his humiliation. Um, what we see in the passage today is his exaltation. Um, Let's zoom in on a definition of exaltation. Here's a definition. His exaltation is his rising again from the dead on the third day. His ascending up into heaven. In sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And in coming to judge the world at the last day. So those are some key components of his exaltation. His resurrection. Ascension. Reign in heaven. His second coming. Um, And we see this in the scriptures in Philippians chapter 2. It shows his humiliation and his exaltation just verses apart. Philippians 2 beginning in verse 6 says in reference to Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, humiliation, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right there, humiliation of Christ. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven 
and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2, 6 through 11. You can hear this U-shaped curve. Humiliation comes before exaltation. Uh, Death comes before resurrection. This is the pattern of his life. And uh, his ascension, his exaltation, it means that he's the conquering king. That means that he has defeated death. He's defeated sin. Much of what we just sang about. He's defeated evil. And and Hebrews tells us what this conquering king Jesus is doing right now. Hebrews 9.24 Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. On whose behalf? On our behalf. Um, We can't see Jesus right now because he's seated next to his Father, ruling over the world and praying for us. He's exalted, all-powerful. Yet he's using this power for the good of his people. um, Using exaltation and power for the good of others. You see this sometimes uh, with celebrities where they champion a particular cause or charity. Um, Back in May of 2004, professional cyclist Lance Armstrong launched the Live Strong campaign uh, for cancer research. Uh, A $1 donation got you a highly coveted yellow bracelet. Uh, You remember the yellow bracelet trend. Um, It was an international phenomenon. It ended up raising over $10 million just from the bracelets alone. Now, there were some hiccups down the road for Lance Armstrong, but you get the general idea. He was at the height of his comeback from cancer, and what did he do? He used his platform to raise millions uh, for cancer research. I, I remember I had a mentor who was going through cancer at that time. He read the book, got the bracelet. It was just this huge motivating factor for him. Jesus uses his exaltation for the good of his people. Even on the throne, Jesus is focusing On his people. He's reigning over us. He's protecting us. He's fighting for us. He's guiding us. He's praying for us. He's exalted. What does that mean for us? It means we owe him our allegiance. Uh, He's our king in heaven. Is he king in your heart? Uh, If you think about your life and, and, and the priorities of your life... Uh, the things you give yourself to. Maybe even imagine um, if you could picture an actual throne in your heart. Uh, Who or what is sitting on that throne in your heart? Not ideally what you want that to be, but just what does your life show about who's really on the throne of your heart? Is it something other than Jesus? Is it maybe success? Or accomplishing your plans in life for you or maybe your kids or someone in your family? Is it comfort? Just pleasure, comfort, ease, predictability, control, being accepted by other people, being accepted by a friend group. Uh, We owe our allegiance to King Jesus. And he's the only one that will actually rule our hearts in a way that leads to our good and to our flourishing. Um, All those other substitutes for a king are going to ruin us. 
And if you've ever really lived for something else like that, you've felt that. They're all going to malfunction in the role of king, except for Jesus. Jesus is exalted, and he keeps his focus on his people. And we see this in greater detail in these verses. We see that Jesus actually empowers his people. Look at verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, So he gives power to his followers by his Holy Spirit that will come and live inside of his believers and empower them to be his witnesses. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it's actually a theme verse for the entire book of Acts. Um, You know, Acts sort of functions as a transitional book. You have the first four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk all about the life and ministry of Jesus. Then the other side of Acts, you have the rest of the New Testament that, that unpacks what does it look like for the church to live in light of who Jesus was and what he did. What does it look like for us to live today as believers? Acts is like a bridge between the two. Sort of functions as a, as a go-between. And verse 8 sets the tone for what Acts is all about. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to come to you, giving you power, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Think concentric circles working outward further and further. Uh, the kingdom of this ascended king is going to expand as he gives power to his people to go and be witnesses for him. Uh, Two authors, Ray Kanata and Josh Ratana, who wrote the book Rooted on the Apostles' Creed, they talk about this beautiful paradox with the ascension of Jesus that um, there is this reality in which he is going further away from us than he's ever been, right? He's, He's literally going away with his ascension and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's gone. And yet he is closer to us than he's ever been by the Holy Spirit. And the spirit that he's given us is powerful. My first job out of college, I worked in new home construction. And there was a guy that we built a house for who after, we, after he moved in, he wanted to show his appreciation. And so he was a big truck guy. Uh, shout out to the truck guys out there. Um, he drove a um, Dodge Ram Rumblebee. Uh, if you've never, if you've never, if you don't know what that is, Google it later. I promise you won't be disappointed. It is a bright yellow supercharged truck, um, and he loved this truck so much. And uh, so again, to show his appreciation, he's like he he wanted to let me drive his truck. And so we were this community where we we're building his house was kind of out in the country, and there was this new highway that wasn't really open yet. And so we drove out there and we switched seats. He and he, I got in the driver's seat, and you know. Uh, we're just sitting there, and, and he's like, all right, we're, just, we're at a dead stop. He's like, I want you to floor it. I've never done anything like this. Are you sure? Yeah. And so I floored it, and I mean, zero to 60 like that. I've never felt power like that in my life. I mean, it felt like this thing was about to take off and fly. I mean, it was unbelievably, by, by, by far the most power that I've ever experienced in a vehicle. But, but if you just think about that picture, I mean, I, I was just, just a guy sitting in this truck, in and of myself, no power. But as soon as I put my foot on that gas pedal and put that gas pedal all the way down, man, that rumblebee took off. Unbelievable power. If you are in Christ, you have power. You have the power of Jesus inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit power 
that God has given you. Um, Kids, do you ever feel afraid? Parents, adults, all of us, do you feel afraid? Maybe it's acute fear about particular things happening. Maybe it's just general anxiety about life, of just all the, the, the what-ifs of life. You're just kind of in low-key fear all the time. Um, do you feel timid? Really timid, really unsure of yourself. Do you feel cowardly sometimes? Like you want to stand up and say a thing, but you just uh, kind of shrink back from it. Uh, do you feel like you want to run from hard things? I'm raising my hands for all of this. Listen to what Paul tells us about the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Uh, the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you is not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of cowardice. It's not a spirit of timidity. That's not what the Spirit of God is like. The Spirit of God is one of power and love and self-control. And you could spend a lifetime meditating on how beautiful it is that these three things are held together. Power, love, self-control held together perfectly in the Spirit of God. What an amazing combination. That is the Spirit of God that's inside you. Where in your life do you need to show power and love and self-control? That's the spirit that is in you, empowering you to do that. And there are just so many abuses of power. It, it can be really hard for us to have a redemptive, uh, holy, loving picture of power. Uh, but to grow in the Christian life is to be made more and more into the image of Jesus, including the way that he exercised his power and Jesus was the perfect picture of how to wield power. Read about him. Look at his life. Look at his interactions, his relationships. Perfect power. And you have that spirit inside of you, growing you in that type of power. Uh, this means you have the power of God in you to not be afraid. You can be courageous and brave. Because of the power of God in you. Uh, you have the power of God in you to obey God even when it feels really costly to your life or career or relationships. Um, you have the power of God in you to say no to temptation. Real power. It comes from the Holy Spirit. We can't see Jesus right now because our King has ascended to the throne. He's exalted and he empowers his people. Let's ask this next question. What do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? As Jesus has ascended. Two things from this passage. We wait and we witness. First, we wait for Jesus. Uh, waiting is a significant theme in the Bible. We see waiting throughout this passage. Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem... But to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit that was about to come just a chapter later in Acts. Look at verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed 
by his own authority. Uh, This was a consistent misunderstanding uh, from the disciples. They were convinced that Jesus' kingship would mean an immediate political and military rule right now. Like, let's go ahead and do the whole regime change and make this thing happen. They, They were frequently confused about that. And so they're asking him about the timing of this whole thing. And what does he tell them? He basically says, hey, you just got to trust the Lord and wait. Timing, it's not really for you to know. The season, it's not for you to know. You just got to wait. Trust God and wait. Look at verses 10 and 11. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. A massive season of waiting is introduced here. Waiting for Jesus to come again. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but this is the waiting that we all feel. Uh, Theologians call it the already and the not yet. And you almost don't even have to define that term for it to name the experience of the Christian. Already and not yet. Jesus has already come and saved us. We've been justified, declared not guilty as we stand before the throne. And yet we are still waiting to be made fully new. We are still waiting for Jesus to come and make us and all things new again. And as we wait in that already and not yet, we suffer. We suffer. We suffer the fracture of the world. Health problems. Sickness. Death. All kinds of fracture because of sin in our world. And we're waiting. We're suffering. We suffer from our own sin. Uh, Day after day having to deal with our messy, inconsistent, sinful lives. Same thing again and again. We suffer. Uh, We suffer from the sins of others. Abuse, hurt, broken relationships. Just when will it all end? Just waiting and suffering. Uh, To be a follower of Jesus is to be one who waits. And it's so, so difficult. Waiting is so countercultural. Our high-tech world functions in a way that uh, success means not waiting. Everything is geared towards us not having to wait, and so when we do find ourselves having to wait, it feels like something is wrong. But God does beautiful work in us in the waiting. Waiting on the Lord is difficult, but it is a good place to be. Here's the thing about our waiting. It's not passive. It is not just sitting around type of waiting. Um, The sitting around passive waiting is the worst Um, think about being put on hold on a phone call if you've had to do that recently Um, I looked up the world record for having to wait on hold for a phone call and apparently it's some poor Australian man uh, was on hold with an airline company for 15 hours and 40 minutes and one second that's not the kind of waiting that we're called to Um, as we wait for Jesus we are called to be witnesses for Jesus You see this in verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? Um, That's not a term we use a lot. That's a very kind of churchy term. Um, The authors of Rooted, I think, give a great definition. They talk about being a witness as two things. As being a messenger and a martyr. So being a witness is a messenger. Um, We are messengers for Jesus as we wait. And we do this with our lives and with our words. Um, Think about your life. 
Uh, what message does your life send to those around you? Uh, how you use your time, your resources, your hobbies. What's the story that your life tells to the world? Um, one of the loudest witnesses from the early church was not the words of these first Christians, but the life of the first Christians. Um, <clears throat> just a few examples of this. Um, early Christians were known for how they cared for orphans, unlike anyone else would in this time. Um, this was a time where babies would literally be discarded in the street. It was not uncommon. If you didn't want a baby, it would be discarded in the street. And Christians were the ones who were picking up these babies and taking them in and raising them. They spoke with their lives. Um, early Christians were the ones known to care for the sick and dying during seasons of uh, mass disease and plagues. Um, even knowing that, it, that they would compromise their own health, potentially um, contract this disease that would lead to their death, the Christians were the ones that didn't evacuate the cities during the plagues, but stayed and cared for the sick and dying. Spoke with their lives. We're messengers with our lives. But also with our words, too. Uh, and, you know, as you think about your own life and being a messenger with your words, may, um, it can be really easy to be like, you know, so like, go tell one person today about Jesus. And, and maybe, maybe you should do that. But maybe here's another way to think about that. Um, who was the person that told you about Jesus? How did you hear about your faith? Maybe it was in a, a pastor in a church setting or a youth group leader or a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a, a campus minister or a staff person in a campus ministry when you were in college. Uh, it could have been a friend, a, a mentor, a parent, a, a grandparent. Um, someone had to tell you about the good news of Jesus for you to first believe. Who was that person? I think back to my high school young life leader, Zach Breitenstein, uh, my older brother, Brian Davis. Uh, I think about my track coach, Johnny Fields. Uh, these were men that God put in my life as, as messengers who witnessed to the good news of Jesus by telling me about who he was. That'd be a great lunchtime conversation just to, to chat about who it was, uh, who was the messenger for you. Who did you hear the good news from? And you can see how the implications work out for then. What does that look like for us to become those messengers for others? So that's part of what a witness is. It means to be a messenger, but it also means to be a martyr. It's actually the same Greek word for witness and martyr. And a martyr in a classic sense is one who's willing to die for their faith because they believe in Jesus. Um, you can also think about it in terms of sacrifice. Um, to witness for Jesus is to sacrifice for Jesus, to give something up for the sake of following him. Um, yeah, you know, saying yes to one thing means saying no to countless other things. Um, have you ever been given an Amazon gift card before? Um, it's an amazing thing, right? But then it's like you just sort of open up the browser and like, all right, there's probably I don't know, millions of products on Amazon. I got, you know, I could, I could get whatever I want with this. This is free money. It's a gift card, right? And you can be paralyzed because there are so many options. And, and you know that feeling of if you say yes to that one thing, it means saying no to, in this case, literally millions of other things. Um, following Jesus means sacrificing. Saying yes to Jesus means saying no to some of the things of this world. Uh, a sacrifice of your time. Uh, your priorities. Sacrifice of your resources, sacrifice of your comfort. It's really following Jesus as a sacrifice of your whole life for him and his kingdom. 
when you follow Jesus, all these things come under his authority. And you're given this new purpose. And it means sacrifice. But as we sacrifice for him, we witness for him. And we witness to a better way, to a better kingdom. Uh, We give a picture of a truly good life as it was meant to be. Following King Jesus. And so we wait on Jesus and we witness. And to witness means to be messengers and martyrs. And as the world sees and hears our witness, some people are actually going to see that and God's going to use it to give them new faith. Some people will see your witness and will believe because of you. That's how God has set this whole thing up. Um, When we recite in the creed that we believe that Jesus has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, um, we are confessing that we believe that Jesus really walked out of the tomb and he really went up into heaven, ascended into heaven as our king. And as we wait for this king to come back, we're going to be his witnesses. So the question is, is Jesus your king? Is he your king? Because he's a good king. He's a good king. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There's nothing better than life with him. If you know someone who's been following Jesus for a long time, I want you to ask them, have you ever regretted following Jesus? There's no one like Jesus. Won't you surrender everything to this good king, this good ascended king today? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your good King Jesus to come and rescue us. Come and live for us, suffer. Be crucified, die, buried, rise again. Ascend back up into heaven. Seated at your right hand. It's going to come again. What an amazing story. What an amazing king. We praise you. We worship you. And thank you that you've called us up into your mission of of waiting for you and being witnesses for you. Would you show us each particularly what that looks like in our specific situation in life? And would you prepare our hearts to come and feast at your table? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, with the good news of our rescuer king fresh on your hearts and minds, let's just quietly... Respond to the Lord in prayer for a moment as we prepare to come to his feast at the table. The table that's set before you this morning is the table that's set by our King Jesus. And he's such a good king, he's given us a reminder that that all that we profess to be true really is true. 
This is a reminder that we can see and touch and taste. A reminder that he really did die for us because he really does love us. If you believe that, if you've been baptized and you're connected to a church that proclaims that good news, then this feast is for you. Come and be reminded, be encouraged. Believe more deeply by partaking of this meal. Uh, But if that is not your faith, if you have not centered your life around Jesus, hold off on this meal. Don't partake of it today, but but instead sit and reflect on the good news that is offered to you in Christ. Uh, The way that we do this is um, after our musicians are served, you can come forward whenever you're ready. We partake of this meal up at this table like a family meal. You can come and gather around. I'll I'll serve the bread. There are um, allergy-free crackers available. Um, There is wine and juice. The wine is red. The juice is white. We'll partake of that up here at the table. You can leave your empty cup uh, in this basket up here. Um, As we partake, there'll be a communion song. Feel free to sing and worship, pray, do as you feel led during this time. Uh, With that in mind, let's recite these words of institution together. Let us together proclaim the hope of the church. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ shall come again. I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, having given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it. In remembrance of me. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind to us. We love you. We worship you. Would you meet us in a special way at this table? Remind us that our sins are forgiven. Remind us that we are being made new in Christ. Would you meet us now in Jesus' name? Amen. Let me invite our musicians forward to be served. The table's open whenever you're ready.